But uh, why don't we why don't we just jump in and uh, yeah. and, and yeah. get to this? You want to bring it in? You want me to? We'll do yours first since it's older. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's got it's got like it's got like a month on it. All right. <clears throat> la, 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 la. It's been a while since we opened the lies. Him, 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 him. La, la. Him, him. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Shut Up. <laughs> Back to the bin. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm oh, Paul Spataro. Back to the bins. We're back to the bins, and, and the, the, you know how every, every once in a while the brand new comics end up in the back issue bins really cheap? I don't even think they've made it there yet this time. I don't think so. I think they're still on the new shelf. In fact, your book came out yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we, we, uh, if if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm Paul Spataro. I'm here with Dr. Bill Robinson, and we decided to do a little twist on things for today. Normally, our unwritten rule is we try to get books that are at least 10 years old when we do the show, and often we go much older than that. Uh, but Bill... Bill found himself reading the brand new Iron Man book yesterday and was a little perturbed. Is that the right word, Bill? Not perturbed. I just kind of came to some, had some observations and thoughts. <laughs> I wasn't perturbed at all. I was just really angry. <laughs> I was pissed off. No, well, I wasn't pissed off. I was just, you know, well, you, you... something we brought up before and I thought I'd co- contact you about it. And you said you wanted to cover something new, so... Today we're new and in, well, we don't know if we're improved, but we're new. Well, you were thrown off a little bit by just how quickly you read this book. Is that, that a fair comment? Yeah, yeah. In comparison to other things we've been covering, especially in Avengers Spotlight with the Celestial Madonna saga and the 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 big contrast between the two. And I, you know, Bill mentioned uh, the book that he's going to cover, which is Iron Man 596, which, as we said, came out yesterday as we record this. It'll be several weeks ago by the time you hear it. Uh, and once he mentioned that, I said, okay, you know what? I've heard some good things about the reboot new st- or new uh, series of Marvel 2-in-1 books that are coming out. So I decided to do Marvel 2-in-1 number one. So should we jump right in it or do we have anything to talk about? Uh, I don't think we've got any, uh, I didn't check the email today. Uh, I, the email, we could do the email after we do the books. There is a couple of okay. things. So yeah, this, I don't think there's any, any, um, I guess there's a new Metropolis TV series that's going to start up. Yeah, it's like a, a pre, pre So now, so now we already had him in Smallville for 10 years. He finally got to Metropolis and now he's going to go another 10 years without being Superman. He's going to be easy. And then we're going to, I guess the next show after that's going to be geriatric Superman. <laughs> we'll see. We'll but see. I, I, you know, this one apparently is a take on Superman, similar to what Gotham is doing with Batman. Hmm. Uh, honestly, I, I've there have been moments in Gotham where I thought it was pretty good, but I've never liked the premise. Hmm. 
So anyway, uh, the book that. I'm covering today uh, has a cover date of February of 2018. <laughs> it was released on December 20th, and it's Marvel 2-in-1 number 1. And I'm going to re- read a synopsis from the Marvel Wiki. And wiki, wiki, wiki. The oh, uh, title of the book, or the title of the story in the book is Fast Burn. It is written by Chip Zadarsky, penciled by Jim Chung, inked by John Dell and Walden Wang, colored by Frank Martin, lettered by Joe Caramenga, and edited by Tom Brevoort and Alana Smith. And the story goes something like this. At a race, Johnny Storm passes all his opponents. However, to do so, he pushes his car to the limit, causing the engine to overheat and burst into flames. As his crew asks if he's alright, Johnny comes out of the car, in flames, looking afflicted. In New York City, during a gala inauguration for the Fantastic Award, a woman called Rachna introduces the story of the Fantastic Four to the audience and invites Ben Grimm, a.k.a. The Thing, to make a small speech after the disappearance of Reed Richards, Sue Richards, and their children Valeria and Franklin Richards. After that, Ben goes to meet some people, but they seem to be more interested in his handsomer ex-teammate, Johnny. Irritated, Ben exchanges some words with Rachna, and they seem to get along, when suddenly Spider-Man appears at the entrance of the location, thrown around by a very angry pile driver. Ben effortlessly knocks the villain out so Spidey can explain why he's there. He comes to support him for the night, but the main reason for his presence is to talk about Johnny. Spidey has seen him recently, and he seems more somber than usual. He gives Ben the keys to the old Baxter Building stuff he put in a warehouse in Queens. As Johnny is near Wyoming County, he could go see him in a fantastic car or something. At the warehouse, amongst all the FF relics... Ben finds a Daily Bugle paper commemorating the defeat of the World Devourer by the team, which sparks in him a memory from some time ago, during the final moments of the old multiverse. Susan had realized that this time she wouldn't make it, so she trusted Ben to take care of whomever survived, be it Franklin, Valeria, or Johnny. As Ben loses himself in these memories, Iron Man enters the warehouse to give Ben something he stole from the Baxter building. And I'm going to interrupt this for a moment and say Iron Man at this point is Victor Von Doom. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, let's see, something he stole from the Baxter building when the multiverse got restored and Reed Richards disappeared. It's an orb that only Ben can access, and it contains Ben's. It contains Reed's last words in the chance of his death. Ben attacks Doom for breaking into their home, but he's tamed by the foe's powers. Doom seems to jump from an assertive to a classic, aggressive, and arrogant persona, even switching from the third to the first person when talking about Doom. Ben fears that this could be a trap, but he resolves to watch the clip inside the orb when Doom goes away. As the orb activates, Reed Richards appears in a hologram in front of his longtime friend, explaining with excess of technicalities how he was able to create different clips for different outcomes that may have occurred. This is the one where only Ben and Johnny are still around. Reed asks Ben to keep exploring the multiverse, which they've only just scratched during their adventures together. To that end, Reed leaves him the Multisect, a tool that can access an area known as the Multiplane, a nexus for infinite universes. 
As it's a powerful device that cannot fall into the wrong hands, he hid it in the place only the two of them know, the location of their first adventure. Only the two of them and everybody who reads comic books. Reed ends the video. I read by... the second issue, so I know where it is. Okay. Reed en- ends the video by telling Ben to live the life he's always lived. A fantastic one. <coughs> Johnny flies outside the atmosphere only to free fall back to Earth and save himself at the last second, reactivating his powers. Ben shouts at him, but Johnny seems uninterested to talk to him. As Ben insists, Johnny explodes in rage, telling him he doesn't want to be reminded of the Fantastic Four. He calms down and explains that he wasn't gambling with his life just to pass time. His powers seem to be degrading, so he's testing his new lower limitations by putting his life into risk and risking death at every given moment. Johnny Johnny asks Ben if he loses his powers too, what will be left for him? Ben decides to lie and tell them there's a chance their family is still alive. Unbeknownst to them, Ben and Johnny are being watched through a hidden camera by none other than Victor Von Doom, who wonders why Ben is lying to his friend. I'm thinking, did you ever look out there and think, (laughs) PEOPLE! (laughs) Von Doom! Uh, this was a good read. Uh, yeah, that was fact, a good read. I, I enjoyed it very much. You read the synopsis about as fast as it takes. Well, no, no, no. This this one was a fair. This one read. did have a little bit of meat to it. Yeah. Yeah, especially with the, uh, you know, because you've got the recap uh, of them, and then um, Ben giving his speech. I like his little glasses on his little nose, on his nose, little tiny little teeny little glasses. I think he could, you know, get that corrected or something. A couple of things about this book that stood out to me. Now, now I guess you can you can uh, tell your humor, your humorous uh, joke, yeah, the the humorous reference that you uh, figured out that I did not in a moment. But uh, I'm not really very familiar with modern creators for the most part. Oh yeah, when I saw these list of guys, I'm like, the only one I recognized was uh, Jim Chung, and I actually can pick out his art. At least I can from like, from what like where where are you mostly familiar with him? Some of the he I want to say he was doing the Avengers a few years back, and that's where I became familiar with his art style. And I want to say he did did he do Infinity? I guess I could look up Jim Chung real quick. Okay, well, while you while you do that, uh, again, like I said, I'm not very familiar with the current creative teams out there. Uh, Chip Zdarsky, I know only by reputation. I don't think I've ever read anything he wrote before. And what I've heard him described as is somebody who's kind of a little too clever for his own good, or not nearly as clever as he thinks he is. Um, but in reading this issue, I thought he did a really nice job. I thought everybody was characterized pretty well. I thought uh, the story kind of moved along quickly. Uh, but in particular, I really did like Jim Chung's art in this. Ah, Illuminati, Infinity, Avengers. Uh, he did some Civil War stuff. Uh, uh, Avengers, The Children's Crusade. Axis, Young Avengers, yeah. So, yeah, I've seen his art before, and I can pick it out. Okay. Now, I'm looking at the art. I think the flashback art looks very, very different from the 
current art, which I think is cool. It's not kind of a cool contrast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not not only in the difference in the coloring and inking, but just the drawings themselves look different. But the uh, the detail work on the regular art, I think, is pretty cool. It's the storytelling is good. It's easy to follow. Uh, I think the facial expressions all look good. I like the way he drew Spider-Man in particular. I think he just looks, you know, he, he looks really good. He looks he looks like he's really a person. And he looks, you know, considerably smaller than than the thing. So he, he you know, he looks wiry and and. Well, yeah, like when he's standing next uh, in the page after when he goes to hand him the keys, or, or when he reaches into his jacket and goes to ha- hand him his keys, you can see he's got a nose underneath his mask. Yeah, which is something I mean, you don't normally see in in a Spider-Man. It's drawing. shaded really nice. It's it's you know it's. Well, you could even see like the furrowing of his brow a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that is pretty cool. You know, it's it's not like the Spider-Man mask is his face; it's covering his face, and that's kind of cool. I want to say that Jim Chung to me is like a modern day. Um, we just had this discussion a little bit on one of our shows. Uh, who does all the up the nose shots? Gil Kane. Thank you. Because look at Johnny on the cover, up the nose. Look at the shot with Pile Driver um, when Ben gra- grabs his shoulder up up the nose. Like he does that a lot. Oh, yeah, or, but you see, I, 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 I think Gil Kane. I think Gil Kane is so much more than just an up the nose guy. <laughs> I I know that. I know, but that's that's what I always well. What always sticks out is when he does more. more you know, Morbius the Living Vampire, especially because he's got that really. Well, he has. He had an up the nose nose. <laughs> yeah, he had a, but, that nose. You know so. the other, but the thing about the artwork in this that really makes it stand out to me is following the story. There's a three page uh, little kind of like a an origin recap drawn by uh greg land at the end yes yeah, yeah. And, and it's it's just bad i'm sorry I, I don't like it at all i don't like greg land's artwork look at the shot on the second page of that at the top Su- of sue storm that's Su- storm. horrible yeah well um and mr land does look he does go to my l l my lcs some, some a few times, I actually met him once. Uh, there, um, he might be and, the nicest guy in the world. Yeah, uh, he he's a Packers fan. He's a big pa- Packers fan. Um, and I'm I'm not here to like blast his personality. Artwork. I just don't like his artwork. I just don't. I'm sorry. So, sometimes I like his art, and sometimes I don't. And I have to admit that is not my favorite shot of the Invisible Woman because it's like she's got one giant boob. That would be one of my least favorite <laughs> shots of the Invisible Woman. Not, well, not, well, it's not. It's my favorite. It's one of my least favorite. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. It's not. It's just not. It, it's like something's missing there. It's like a little more. I don't it's just. I mean, clearly, all his work is just, you know, photo referenced, and uh, it does nothing for me. It really doesn't. And and how is that Ben Grimm on the first page in the upper right? That is not Ben Grimm. Sure it is. He's kind of happy. I'm not sure who he's photo-referencing there, but it's certainly not Ben Grimm. And that doesn't look like the Human Torch to me on the picture next to it either. Young, carry, uh, you know, carefree Johnny Storm, no? It's no? terrible. I, it's, I can't stand his artwork. I'm sorry. 
again, he might be the nicest guy in the world, and I don't mean to besmirch his personality in any, any way, shape, or form, but I just don't care for his artwork. But the Jim Chung artwork, I like very, very much. I think this this is exceptional. I think it's it's really well drawn. The story moves along. And there's not really a lot of action in it, with the exception of the little... Uh, the tiny little uprising between uh, Doom and, and the thing, or or when the torch gets all upset. What do you mean? There's not that much action. It's We've not really a... action. It's more. It's, this is more of a talking story. We got the car race. We got Johnny coming out of the fire. Uh huh. We've got the fight with pile driver and. <laughs> the fight and... with pile driver is really one punch. Well, I know, and then and then we've got him with Doom, and then we've got the flashback, and then it's um. Yeah, and then Johnny gets all you know. He gets a little. I mean, I don't know. I think it's a fair split between action and um, and dialogue. Not very little action. I'd I'd say forty percent action. Okay, well, I'll, I'll just roll with that. Whatever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but now, now I'm wondering where this is going to. You know, I I got to assume this is the precursor to the return of the Fantastic Four. Well, that's what I'm thinking. And too. and what yeah. I wonder is. You know, it takes a few months to produce these books. So, obviously, the sale of of Fox wasn't completed when this was started. But they but, might have had. But maybe they knew. Maybe they maybe, were just going to bring it back anyway. Maybe they saw it coming and said, "You know what? We're going to be buying Fox. Let's bring. Let's start the revival of the Fantastic Four now." Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if this is going to be, say, a four issue story, and then goodbye Marvel two and one because we're going to bring back. Uh, the Fantastic Four at that point, or well, if they're going to really do kind of an ongoing with Marvel Two and One for a while. Right now, there's at least five issues solicited that I see on the Marvel Wiki. Marvel One, Two, and One Five is, and that's up to June. So, who's June? She, uh, June's just after May, and be, who's May? And May's after April. Who's April? <laughs> I don't know. Third, 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 third base. Third comic. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess we're going to see. I mean, I'm pretty confident we will have the return of the Fantastic Four, and I'm pretty confident that this, uh, whatever this doohickey that well, from Reed remember, left for the thing is going to be the key to it. I might be totally whacked out, but because I didn't wrong. I think about one of the points I, I checked out Iron Man quite a while before. I uh, had been keeping up with the Avengers, but then I really dropped out and haven't been reading fully just before, um, like, Civil War Two. I kind of checked out. And then Secret Wars, I didn't really know what was going on with that. But I, but from what I remember glancing at he, here and there and picking up from other people was, you know, that the Marvel Universe got re- rebooted, but I, I thought that that Reed and Sue and the kids went off and were exploring the multiverse or actually creating new universes was what their final fate was. But I don't think Johnny and Ben know that. So really, they aren't dead, from my understanding, my, my limited knowledge at this point. And then they probably will find them. So, Yeah, well, I think that's kind of... I mean, that, does that jive with what you remember or know? Well, I, I honestly, I follow so little of what comes out now, I wasn't sure where they were. But yeah. I just assume they're not really dead. I think that's right. always a safe assumption. So, anything so, in particular about this? Otherwise, jump out of you a little bit. 
What do you think of the cover? Because they're smashing like the Fantastic Four logo. You know, if you piece all those things back together, that's a looks like a four. Yeah. Well, I, I like the way the thing looks on the cover. I'm not really thrilled with the torch. It's like a little baby. Yeah, he he just doesn't look. He's quite a baby right. on fire. Plus, plus, he's just a torso and up. Yeah. Like he doesn't he doesn't look like he has a body behind him. Like the thing you no, only he... you only really see his torso, but you could kind of imagine where the rest of his body is. The torch just kind of looks like like he's half a torch. He's a he's half a matchstick. Um, the first full page does that look a lot like John Romita Jr. years ago. The uh, the the splash page. Yeah, where uh, Johnny's where walking from the thing. A little yeah. bit, a little bit. It looks. I mean the the uh, the racing leathers that he's wearing almost look like the X Men leathers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, so John Romita Jr. is a tough one for me though because I think he's really really talented, but I think sometimes he just mails it in. Yeah, I mean, this kind of reminds me of, like, when he was doing the X-Men years ago, like in the one, uh, like in the 200s, I want to say. Way back, way back in, like, the, what what was that, about the the 80s? The late 80s? It's the 80s, man. It's the 80s. Do you think John Romita Jr. might have been an influence on Jim Chung? That's quite possible. I'm not sure of Jim Chung's background. I mean, I've heard his name... But I don't really know, you know. Again, I don't really follow the modern creators that much, so I, I don't know too yeah. much. Yeah, the flashbacks being done in like the softer, like they kind of make it, like they put Vaseline on the lens, and everything's got the soft hue to it. That we, you know, we're watching it through rose-colored, you know, glasses. And everything was wonderful and great, and um, uh. Yeah, you really feel you really feel for Ben, looking through all the old stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. What do you think of the Doom slash Iron Man portrayal that they're doing now? I've got all the books. I haven't. That was my big hunt over last last summer into the fall. Was getting was going back and filling in all the holes from where I stopped collecting Iron Man. So I have the whole series. I have International Iron Man, the all the different multiple volumes that came out, but I haven't had time to read them. So I mean, it's my understanding that Doom is trying to be a hero. See, but the way I see it is, Doom always thought he was a hero anyway. But me, well, hmm. that's the, that's the part of like. I like the way he's he's written in here because you could see he's kind of battling to be the kinder, gentler Doom. Uh, Don't upset Professor Allen. Don't upset Professor Allen. And and that occasionally the arrogance comes out of him a little bit. But Doom never... I don't think Doom ever thought, oh, yes, I'm a villain. Let me be evil. I don't think that was ever his motivation. According to to the line that's put out by the Latvian embassy... Uh, this is more of a true telling in line with w- the actual real Victor Von Doom and not this usual dribble that has been put out for years, the propaganda against Doom. At least that was the uh, the uh, the mandated thing that I was sent from Professor... I mean, from uh, that... Uh, anyway, moving on. Moving on. So, but, like, I think... I don't think Doom would ever 
tried to rule the earth because he said, I want money or I want, you know, I want something. I think Doom just felt he was the most qualified to rule the earth. And that's why. It's like his God-given right. Not because he's evil. You know what I mean? Uh, I, you know, I think Doom is one of these people who just thinks he can rule the world better than anyone else can and therefore he should. Well, when Ben attacks him, he's, uh, you know, uh, well, he, he kind he, of... He, 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 like, initially responds and then he kind of backs off because he's trying to be the kinder, gentler Doom. Yeah, yeah, which is, you know, you know, he's, he's keeping himself in check, I guess. Like, I don't think Doom... Just I'm just thinking from a characterization point of view. I don't think Doom cares about public relations. I don't think Doom cares about his image. So I don't think he would really care if people see him as a hero or not. I think, well, maybe again, in his mind, he is. But in his mind, I think he already is a hero. So what is what is the incentive for him to change? That's what I'm trying to grasp. Hmm. And again, I haven't read all this. So I'm just jumping in. You know, well, maybe he doesn't like how he's portrayed on Facebook and social media. I guess. I'm not thrilled with this particular variation of his costume, of his armor. Yeah, I mean... It's kind of got boobs in it. He's putting himself out there as Iron Man. Yeah, he's calling himself Iron Man. Did you see he has boobs on it? On the, uh... Oh, yeah, I guess we're... Which page was it? Doom! Yeah, Yeah, that, that panel. Yeah, you know, he's just got some pecs there. Okay, we'll 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 say that they're pecs at least. He's been uh, I, I, you know, and then I, I, again to the uh, what's his name Zerkursky or whatever his name is the uh, Zadarsky. Mm-hmm. Uh, like his, his little sense of humor comes in here. Uh, you know, Doom Doom goes to hand him the thing. You know, remove your craggy digit from the <laughs> from the face <laughs> of Doom Grim. I come bearing gifts, and then uh, <laughs> Ben's reaction is. What am I supposed to do with that? Catch them all? So he's obviously obviously making a Pokemon reference there. Right. So in twenty years, this will be a dated reference. <laughs> and then you might you might as well mention the reference that you. Uh, oh yeah, when I I was earlier. reading this earlier today. Now I didn't catch this on the first reading. I caught it uh, while I was sitting in the bathroom. I know too much information, but I was sitting there and I was rereading it and. Um, when Johnny's in the race, it says, and with four laps to go, Jordan's in the lead, followed by Evans with Underwood pulling up third. And I'm like, Jordan, like, wait a minute, Evans. And I'm like, uh, and I told you about it. I said, did you catch the people that he was racing? And, of course, you were. Go ahead, say it. I was happily ignorant of it. Um <laughs> And and when I saw the name Underwood, the first thing that came to me was that's Kevin Spacey's character's name in House of Cards, which has nothing to do with this reference. Yeah, that was your first thing. You're like, Underwood? House of Cards? I'm like, no, keep reading. And you're like, Jordan? Uh... Then I'm thinking Michael Jordan, so that's not really getting me anywhere. Evans? And then you still didn't get it with Evans. I'm like, who played... Johnny Storm. In no, the well, you know, you didn't. You didn't go. You didn't have to take it to who played Johnny Storm. You just said Evans, Evans, uh-huh. and then I said, "Oh, Chris Evans." Yeah, you didn't, so you didn't quite have. Like... You didn't have to lead me quite that far to the water. <laughs> Look, horse, drink it. <laughs> so no, no. So, uh, it, but 
even I didn't catch the, uh, you know, it's like Underwood must be the name of him back in the, in the old, old movie that was, no, and, and, and we looked it up and it was Jay Underwood and Michael B. Jordan uh, in the most recent, which I still haven't seen. And then Chris Evans in the other two. In I've, the I've seen the Michael Jordan one. You really don't need to trust me. I think it's on Netflix. I might. Maybe if uh, it'll be two hours of your life, you will never get back. Well, maybe I'll just put it on while I'm sorting some comic books. So you but, wouldn't uh, you wouldn't rather hear somebody like scratching their nails against a blackboard or something? I could just replay that scene from Jaws over and over again. So yeah, he's racing uh, himself, kind of, and he smashes up his car, wipes out just to test his powers. So this is interesting. He's losing his powers. Or they're on, on the wane. I don't know why. I don't, you know, because at one point I had checked out of the Fantastic Four before he even, quote unquote, died. But he didn't really die. He was being held by, I believe, uh, Annihilus. Or... No, he, he did die. What? If, if I remember that story correctly, because I was reading it at that time, uh, they had something that way, like he would be torn to shreds and killed, and then brought back to life, and just have it Ooh. done over and over and over again. Oh, I don't remember how sucks. they revived him, but there was a way of like reviving him afterwards. Ooh. So he he died like many many agonizing deaths. I got better. Mm. I'm not dead. Kind of like uh, you know, and spoiler alert, kind of like Harry Mudd with uh, Lorca. Oh yeah yeah yeah, in in that one episode yeah. Uh, so what do you think about Ben is, uh, I guess he's trying to give Johnny something to live for by not telling him the truth, and he lies to him, and Doom's like, yes. <laughs> See, well, is, is it that he has a death wish? Because he's saying he didn't, that he was just well, testing his powers or whatever. Of course, you fly into space where the air is thinner, of course your flames are going to go out, <laughs> idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. It's... I just think he's trying to get it, snap him out of his... Like depression, I don't think. Or he's is he, but is he just telling Ben that just to get him off his case? Is he telling Ben that his powers are waning to get him? Off no, no, his no. Case? Is he just saying, "Oh, I was just, I was testing my powers," you know, like this? And Ben's like, "Well, uh, mm, yeah, we're gonna go find them because he wants to give them something to, or either just to take his mind off his powers, or to, just to give him hope for something." Well, I, don't I, I mean, I don't think he's trying. I don't think he's trying to kill himself, but you know, I could be wrong. And he does mm. flame on pretty well, although he says he can't flame as long or as hard as he had in the past. Well, don't we all? I mean, never mind. Anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I see. <laughs> it ends with Doom saying, uh, "Oh, Ben," you know, he's watching them from afar, and he says, "Oh, Benjamin, really? A lie, really?" Why would you ever say such a thing? And I finished this not sure whether Ben is lying to give Johnny false hope or if he thinks, hey, you know what? I've read enough comic books. Maybe they're not really dead. Or does he know Doom's watching? I always feel like some Doom is watching me. <laughs> I have the privacy. Oh. And then we have a uh, last page as the, that's the cover for the next issue, and yes, they do go to Monster Island. The site of their first adventure. Or is it? You, true believer, will have to read 
I guess so. And that issue came out, uh, I believe, let's say two or two weeks ago when I read that. It's it's good. It's good. You'll like it, Paul. I know you'll like it. Well, I like this one. Excuse me. Pardon me. I thought this was pretty good. In fact, I'm going to rate it now. All right, right away. Uh, now, I understand there were like 18 uh, variant covers on this, but I'm just going to rate it from the prime cover, which oh, is was the one there? you described. Oh, I, I didn't realize there was... Uh... Yeah, I, I don't know how many, but I think there were a lot. Uh, if yeah. you go to the uh, splash page down at the bottom, it has it says Jim oh, Chung yeah. and Justin Sponsor, cover artist, and then it's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven uh, variant covers that are listed, uh, two of which are by Jack Kirby... Yeah, one by Alex Ross, <laughs> one by John Byrne. So I assume those are, uh, and one by Arthur Adams. I assume those are old existing covers that they decided to uh, to make fit into this one. But I'm just going to go with the main one because that's the only one I have in front of me. And this, you know, I, like I said, I think it's a pretty dynamic image. It's cool. It's a good first issue cover. But it also, I don't like the way the torches drawn really so i'm gonna say a b minus on the cover i think the interior art is really solid uh i pretty much like all of it except for the greg land crap so i'm gonna say we're not counting the greg land one i'm gonna say i'm not even sure why that's in there to be honest with you i was kind of like why is this here i didn't you know but but uh I, i'm just gonna do the Jim Chung art. I, I I think it's an A. I think it's really, really solid. Uh, and the story is, I think it's pretty well written. Again, I'm not really familiar with Zdarsky, other than by somewhat by reputation. Uh, so I'm going to just rate it on this story and this story alone. And I think this is pretty solid. I think it's a, like a good solid B plus on the story. And I'll give the book overall a B plus. Hmm. Um... Yeah, the front cover. Uh, that's that's a that's a pretty detailed um, upper torso of Ben Grimm. <laughs> um, Johnny's not bad either. You know, it's it's nice they're exploding out at the cover, or, you know, at the reader. Uh, I'll give it a B. The interior art, um, you know, for everything we said with how the flashbacks are portrayed, and I think Ben looks really good here, really good, and. Um, um, oh, you know what I just noticed? What? I didn't catch this before. All right, so those pictures, the flashbacks, right? Yeah. Those those aren't flashbacks. Like, after Johnny stepping from the flame, those are pictures, because if you look... Oh, those, those are pictures like they're showing uh, They're behind on the, the lady that's at the podium. Yes. That last picture is because I just looked at Ben again where he puts the glasses on, and I see... The Fantastic Four over, I see, you know, Sue over his shoulder. I'm like, wait a minute, is he, is he thinking that? And then I realized, no, 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 that's actually being projected behind him. That's pretty cool. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna give the art an A. And the story, uh, it's nice that the four are back. Well, excuse me. Half the four, uh, two. The two are back. Marvel two four. and one. Yes, Marvel two two and one has returned because I've been going on. I've been trying to collect that now. I've been starting that up. So uh, uh, 
I figured I might as well jump on with this because this is what I'm getting new Iron Man, new and the Avengers. That's the only new books I'm getting right now. Uh, I did, did see in an advert in uh, this week's book that there will be a new uh, Adam Warlock book that's coming out and a new series with the Infinity Stones. And I'm like, ugh. Uh, <laughs> uh. Tempted with that Adam Warlock. I don't know, though. I don't know. But anyway, uh, the story for this, I think I'm going to give the story... Um, I see no reason not to give it an A. So uh, I'm looking at like a B plus, A minus for me. Hmm. Okay, so we're in the same, same ballpark. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I'm, I have the original Marvel 2-in-1 series. The only issues I'm missing are issue number one and issue number five. So when I acquire those, I'll have a complete run of the first volume, and I don't think I'm going to feel obligated to have the second volume. Mm. Unless, you know, if it ends up being like five or six issues, then I'll then I'll uh, see about getting those. Yeah, you know how those go. It's probably once they do this and then reboot uh, um, the yeah. Fantastic Four. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking this is, this is going to be a short-run series, in which case I may want to get them all. Yeah. But if it's if it's truly an ongoing, which how often are they truly ongoings nowadays? But if it is truly an ongoing, I think I'm gonna just kind of let it go. I'll I'll follow it for a little while until my interest is distracted, and then that'll be that. So that's mm. the first of our. What do we? What do you want to call it? I don't know. On uh, the racks or something like that. On the shelf. On the shelf. Or. Paul and Bill on the shelf. So we got back to the bin, so this would be... Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe I don't we'll know. let the listeners pick what this is going to be, although they won't be hearing it. It'll be, yeah, it'll be too late by then. Anyways. I just said, put back, to the, back to the question mark, question mark, question mark for now. That'll anyway. Well, let's, let's just move on to our second book, which you have the newer book of the two. The newest book probably ever done on this program program listen to me <laughs> because it came out yesterday it can't get any fresher than this people unless i drew it myself and that is the invincible iron man number 596 the search for tony stark in our book as i'm looking because we're lazy and i gotta say right now like I said, I've gone back and started to pick up a lot of... I, I, I just started to read Iron Man again for the first time. I don't really know who anybody is. And had to do some research to figure out, oh, that's who that person is. Okay, that's who this person is. Okay, now I see what's going on. And I'll probably have to fill you in, or do you want me to fill you in? Yes, please. Oh, okay, so... Uh, our cover is basically Iron Man being bludgeoned attacked surprised by all his different various armors through the year uh, the one i don't really notice in there is the stealth armor i always like to look for that one because that's one of my favorite armors maybe it's so stealthy you don't see it oh yeah it could be yeah because you see the old mark mark one armor the, gr the gray one up there by the up by the upper left i mean that yeah. could be the one just below it but no i don't think so because it's too shiny I think the most prominent one of the ones attacking is the Hulkbuster. Yeah, that's the most recognizable at this point. I don't see the Silver Centurion either. 
Um, could it could it be if could you be the go to where go to where Iron Man's head is, the Iron yeah. Man being attacked, and right. two above him in the background there? Could that be the Silver Centurion? Nah, it doesn't that? It's not the right color. Oh, yeah, it's true. It's no way, but that's not. Yeah, it would be like the silver and and red, and yeah, I don't see it. So, but uh, all right. So who did yeah. the cup? I was thinking, what was it like the the Centurion one that I, I can't even think what the name of it was, but yeah, forget about it. Yeah, forget <laughs> about it. Yeah, what what I said. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a pretty cool cover though. Our cover artist is Mike Diodato. Has really very little to do with what's going on inside the story, though. Yeah, this is nothing to do with what's going on inside the story. Uh, Mike Diodato Jr. and Dean White are the cover artists. And the story is The Search for Tony Stark Part 4. Oh. So, should I do the brief summary or the detailed summary? You had to do one. I have a choice between two because I'm pulling this off a of Marvel wiki. Wiki, wiki, wiki. I guess it's only fair that I read the long one because you had to read the long one. Yeah. Okay, so should I stop to tell you who people are while I'm reading or we'll just get that later? No, we'll get that later. Okay. So, <clears throat> Ironheart continues berating Iron Maiden. Oh, wait, no, not that. Iron... Wrong Iron Maiden. For attempting to confiscate her belongings, citing more pressing matters such as Tony Stark's disappearance or Victor Von Doom being on the loose. Riri eventually stops mid-sentence and decides to give away her suit, admitting that since she did reverse engineer Stark's tech, it isn't legally hers. As Iron Maiden and her henchmen prepare to leave to go on tour, uh, sorry, Riri explains to her mother that she didn't want to risk the integrity of their house or the safety of her neighbors fighting Vostokov. Iron Maiden taunts Riri one last time before leaving while Riri's mother chides the intruders as they leave. Riri talks with Xavier King. He then leaves, encouraging Riri to see this incident in a better light. Once Riri is alone with her mother, she confirms she back, she backs up the, she, she had backed up all the things that had been taken. Meanwhile, at his French Riviera villa, Victor Von Doom responds to the Hood's attacks with a series of dangerous and powerful dark magic spells and manages to take down the living laser while evading the hood's bullets and the corruptor's blasts. Using his mystic-based ability of mind control, Victor gets the hood to point his own gun at himself. However, before getting Robbins to pull the trigger, Victor is caught off guard by the corruptor and knocked down. While the villains are gloating, Doom forces the hood to shoot corruptor in the head. Down goes corruptor! Down goes corruptor! As Victor shoots up in his Iron Man armor, the hood teleports away while opening fire. The narration, and I see that in a different light, but we'll get that when we step through the book. The, the narration that followed the fight and detailed events notices that Doom shouldn't have struggled fighting the villains he just defeated. While still clad in his Iron Man armor, Tony Stark wakes up to find himself hallucinating, uh, having a, a hallucination of his father Howard. Howard's vision demands to know why Tony isn't asking for help. He replies he doesn't want to involve anybody in what he has done to himself. Howard reminds Tony that unlike him, he did ask people for help if he needed it. Tony suggests he must have gotten that trait from his actual father. 
and proceeds to reproach Howard for never telling him the truth of his parentage, in addition to pointing out that Maria also never revealed the truth Howard's hallucination reminds Tony of the good things he did and the opportunity he's blah, 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 and the opportunities he gave him. He was hard on Tony because Tony had hit the jackpot in life and wanted to ensure that he did something with it. Tony asked Howard once again, why didn't he tell him he was adopted? Before vanishing, Howard simply tells Tony that he was his son and him being adopted didn't matter to him. Tony tries to stand up but falls down. He gets knocked down, but he gets up again. Never mind. Howard's disembodied voice reminds Tony again to ask for help. He desperately, desperately calls out for Rhodey. <laughs> See, I said it right. I didn't say Rudy. Damn it. Aboard a small <laughs> aircraft, uh, aboard a small aircraft modeled after an Iron Man armor, Amanda Armstrong, which you Paul probably have no idea who that is, and no I until I researched. Mary Jane Watson. Friday, I know who that is. Friday. You know who Friday is? Uh, she was from Robinson Crusoe. Yeah. It's also Tony Stark's AI secretary. Oh. And the Tony Stark AI are soaring through the New Jersey Turnpike. Okay. Being directed by the latter to an abandoned factory. When they arrive, Friday notices the entire building is shielded from her scans. They reach a door and Friday manages to get them through. Uh, yeah. Sorry. See that there. Amanda and MJ run through the quarters, calling out Tony's name and find a laboratory. At the turn of a corner, Amanda appears to find Tony collapsed on the floor inside the armor. However, when she takes off the armor's helmet, it turns out to be bum, bum, bah, empty to her disappointment. Amanda looks around and notices footprints on the floor. Friday determines that while Tony isn't at the present location, he was very recently. Amanda finds comfort in knowing that he is at least alive. Back at Riri's now empty garage, Riri looks at her cell phone and calls someone to accept an offer. She's interrupted by Blade? <laughs> Which that's literally like what I'm like, Blade? Yeah, that's, what? that's kind of what I thought too. Who promises her his offer is better. Okay, let's dig into this. Yeah. What's first of all? What's up with Tony Stark with the bald head and everything? What, did, did, didn't he have some sort of no cancer? Idea. I think he had some form of cancer or something. Maybe he was going undergoing some sort of radiation therapy. I got no clue, man. I from what I dug in, into, I know. All right, let me just back up for a second. So and, Tony Stark Stark was adopted. This lady, a man. Then why does he look exactly like Howard Stark? Well, I don't know either. I, I don't know. And they're both I just have, like beyond off the charts geniuses. Uh, just by unless, coincidence, what? Unless, well, because, alright, from reading around a little bit, apparently the child the Starks had was Arno Stark. And Arno was sick. So they actually ended up adopting a child and kind of uh, because there was this whole story about how Arno Howard Stark helped save one of the a recorder from the Rigelians and they did something to Maria's baby and womb and was going to be like this great thing for humanity but then there was like a kill switch in the baby that they could so they hid Arno because he was getting sick and then they made they adopted uh, this other child and then 
you know, basically Arno was like hidden away. And then Tony was basically put out there as the child as like a decoy in case um, the Regellians ever came. I, I don't know. That's kind of what I got out of it. And that may be a really bastardized, quick, down and dirty skimming through. Cause even I even that made my head hurt, though. Right. I don't know what's going on. I that's why I got a lot of reading to go back and do to figure out what's what's really going on. But Amanda, this older lady, that apparently is Tony's birth mother. She was a shield agent and she had a child with another shield agent who turned out to be a Hydra agent and she stabbed him in the neck and killed him. And then she gave up the child to the Starks. So that's Tony's real mother. That's who Amanda is. And she mm-hmm. is actually running when Tony disappeared because of uh, or w- w- went into a coma after Civil War Two. I haven't read Civil War Two. I don't know what's going on. So she was given control of his company. Now, meanwhile, Riri, uh, the young girl with the armor, she reverse engineered his armor. I guess I don't know how. I know about when she's been around for like what I think about two years. I don't even think it's been that long. And her character is called Ironheart. Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden actually works for Stark Industries, which confuses me because Amanda Armstrong is supposed to be running, was given control of Stark Industries by in Tony's will because he's supposedly quote unquote dead. So I don't know why Iron Maiden is there with Stark people taking all the Stark tech. I have no idea why the Hood. And the living laser and the corruptor are attacking Doom. Oh yeah, that that came out of like nowhere. For me. I, I have no idea. So that's what I'm saying. I'm stepping down in the middle of this, going wow, wow. Well, this is the search for Tony Stark part, part four. four. Yeah. So we are coming in right in the middle of this thing. Yeah, I've I've got to go back and do some. Yeah. It's written by Brian Michael Bendis. I usually find his stuff to be very very easy to read, uh, and as we have already noted very very fast to read yes which brings me to the whole point of this show and that was just a peek behind the curtain just recently we're, we're, we're getting towards down towards the end of the celestial madonna saga on avengers spotlight you may hear this show before you hear those shows but i read this one i was confused because i didn't know who people who people were so it was like such a dichotomy between this and the Avengers spot and the Avengers 134, which is I think it's the last one we covered, because that one had so much exposition and took forever to read and was I don't even know if it was the same page count I don't remember, and then I read this and I went like burned right through it, but on some levels still felt just as confused. Now that may be because I'm not all up on who the players are and what the situation was, is. But I was like... He's man. on the Jersey Shore. What? The situation. Oh, okay. With uh, Schnooky, right? Schnooky. Schnooky? I, I think it's with... with I, yeah, I don't think there's an H. No. Well, whatever. <laughs> so... Uh, I'm thinking I'm the I don't Schnooky. Say, I, so I started to think about it in my head that I was like... When did we, you know, and I know we've brought this up before, and I, I may sound like we're beating a dead or, oh, today's comics take too fast to read, blah, 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 and you don't get, you know, your money's worth. But I was like, when did, I tried to think, like, where was the middle point of this? Like, when when did you get 
like a fair was it in the late 80s early 90s to where like you had a balance between art and i mean because this is really just nothing but dialogue that kind of explains things but yet the dialogue we were reading in avengers 134 my god it's like that it's like these things are night and day compared to each other it's like was the late 80s and the 90s to where you had a balance between dialogue and art and you, you said you had a difference of opinion with me on that. Yeah, because I think in the ninety, by the nineties, I think they had already gone decompressed. So I don't know when it happened, but I think the reading became much, much quicker when they did away with thought bubbles. When was that? Hmm. Well, Bendis is known for thought bubbles, but no, he did he it for a little yet. while, and his thought bubbles were stupid. His thought <laughs> bubbles were like Wolverine sitting there saying, "I wish I had a beer." Uh, you know, he he didn't he didn't like have the the thought bubbles like you had back in the sixties and seventies where where it would be like, but if they only knew that underneath this armor I was pl- millionaire playboy Tony Stark, you know, yeah, like, yeah. you know, the, I I think you know they used to have the thought but when they used to have the thought bubbles they would go much more, give it much more of an effort to have you have the person's motivations laid out right there for you. Now, because they don't do that anymore, I think you have to have a lot more dialogue to try and make it seem natural and let you still be on board with that. Mm. So I, I think that's like I think the lack of thought, thought bubbles, and this is a thought I only had today, because when we talked on the phone, you had brought this issue up, and I, I think like the more I think about it, I think that led to some of the decompression aspect of the of the of the comics you know combined with the fact that they want to have six issue story arcs for trades and all of that stuff and combined with the fact that you know series is like uh, iron man have 596 issues so if you don't when when you have a new idea you have to drag it out for a while because otherwise you're gonna be expected to come up with new ideas all the time yeah i mean mm. but i think sometime in the 1980s the thought bubble became Came out of vote. Obsolete. I, I could yeah. be wrong. It could have been in the 90s, but I thought like towards the late 80s is when the thought bubble kind of started to become not so cool anymore. And I think that's when the decompressed story, you know, but I think just, it coincided with the decompressed is story. Is it easier? Is it quicker? I, I mean, you just look at, I mean, you got to fill a page with something. Is it easier just to fill it with larger pictures? I guess. Oh, clearly it is. I mean, and I mean, you can put out more books faster. But when you had guys back in the day that were drawing multiple books each month, look at what Jack Kirby did output-wise. It's amazing. Yeah, I, and then, but there's I mean, also there's also an aspect of it that I think more splash pages sell better on the uh, original artwork market. Mm. Why, why would you want to? Why would you? You know, if you're going to buy a, a, you know, spend a couple of thousand dollars for a page, you want something that's going to be. You know, like a poster image. Right, right. So I think splash pages do very, very well on that market. Mm. Plus, it makes it that much faster to finish a book. And it's that much easier because you have a decompressed story, so you don't need as many individual panels to tell your story. I think it all all just rolls in together. I'm not saying I was angered by this book, but I just kind of just like looking at the two. I'm not saying I was angered, but when I read it, I wanted to hit someone. I, you know, it was just like, because this is, it was like, what, what, what did I pay? I get it. It was, it was like three ninety nine, I think, for this. It's uh, a lot of money for a, just new books in general. A lot of money. Yeah, I know. Yeah. 
You know, it's funny because then I go buy back issues from the 1970s, which I value much more, and I'll look and the, the price is, you know, $3 instead of $2. I'm like, what, are they crazy? <laughs> I'm not buying that. Are you out of your mind? To me, if it's, if it's a Bronze Age book, which is most of what I buy, you know, if it's on if it's on the list of stuff I want, to me, $2 is an acceptable price for almost anything. But once it starts getting more than that, it's like, eh, I don't need it that bad. Yeah. Depending on what it is, I mean, if it's something from the Silver Age, then I, you know, I'll, I'll up that price a little bit. Oh, you know what? I didn't read the uh, the indicia for the people involved. Let me just blow through that real quick. Uh, you do that. Yeah, written by Brian Michael Bendis. Pencilers were Stefano Casilli and Alex Maleve. Uh, inkers are Stefano Casilli, Alex Maleve. Colorist Marty Garcia. No, that's not Garcia. Not Gracia, right? You're welcome. <laughs> Say goodnight, Gracia. Oh. Uh, and Alice Believe letterers, Clayton Cowles. I believe it's Gracia, Coles? by the way. Gracia? Oh, great. Yeah, that, that would make more sense. Sorry. Editor Tom Brevoort and Alania Smith. Uh, so, oh, and uh, Alan Fine was the, did production. Chief and creative officer is Joe Casada. And the president is Dan Buckley. I'm trying not to sound like uh, Tom Harris. Because he would say, Alan Fine was the producer. The executive producer, but he was not. Never mind, I'm trying not to steal Tom's shtick. But I guess I just did steal his shtick. Because I'm a shtick stealer. We've stolen a lot of shtick over time. (laughs) You know why? Because we're stupid. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Alright, so you... Let's step through the book a little bit. Sure. I have no idea who that little flying Iron Man robot. The, the, one, those, the one that like, looks like a balloon? Yeah, I guess they're some, like the little Stark, they're little Stark Enterprises, little minions or something. I don't know. I guess there's, I don't know who those belong to. I'm con- so confused. I, I need to really go back and start reading this stuff. Iron Maiden, I, I did a little research on her. I guess at one time, not that she was a villain, but she was with the... Uh, the Femazons? Where, 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 where I, don't, I don't even know what that's from. It's, it's like in... Um, she was first... Our first appearance was in Marvel Fanfare 11, November 1983. So she's... So that's a while ago. Been around, yeah. Uh, yeah, she was... Uh, she like lived under the shadow of the Black Widow. Um, and she was you know, in service to Russia. She, Melina Vestokov. Uh... And, um, well, I guess, I guess that's why she was known as the Iron Maiden, was originally an agent of the Russian government. Uh, she went up against Jimmy Woo and S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, and Iron Maiden was one of the army of superhuman female criminals, the Femazons, gathered by Superior as a part of a plot to sterilize the rest of the world and gain power for her potential nation of all women. Okay. She was part of the army that defeated and captured Captain American Paladin when they tried to sneak aboard the sne- ship to Superior's Island, Femazonia. Can I have a one-way ticket to Femazonia, please? Oh, sorry. So, and then I guess she uh, she came back in Civil War. Um, she was pursued by the Thunderbolts. And that's, so I don't really know how she got involved. I guess now she works for Stark Enterprises. Yeah, so. I, I know I, what I know of her character is what you just told me. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I don't know why. What the hood is after with uh, Doom? 
And, and, um, and why is why isn't Doom's face scarred? I don't know either. I, that maybe that's something to do with Secret Wars. I don't know. I feel so. For the first time, I have such a big gap of knowledge. I don't know what's going on. Okay, well, all right. It's not the first time. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that I don't know what's going on. But usually I don't have this. I've got a large gap of knowledge here that I feel like I need to c- catch up on. But, you know, got to find time to read these books. It's time now. It's time. Yeah, yeah. You're blowing your week off, though. Yeah, I know. Well, I've been doing other things. So uh, you know, like working. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> supposed to be on vacation, and I went work for a full day and then a half a day and doing other stuff. So, yeah, so then, anyway, they're stealing all this. St- well, they're not stealing. They're taking all the stuff from Riri, but then she's like, you know what? Just take it. Because I guess she realized there's no point in fighting. She's got back. She's got backups to to all the stuff, and it would probably destroy her house, which is a, is a smart move on her part. Um, but oh, I know what the thing that was the comparison to Avengers um, one one thirty four was because like this is telling that book told three different stories. This book is telling three different stories at the same time. But that one took forever to read, and this one I just blew right through. So this one has them repossessing the Stark uh, materials. The fight with The fight Doom. with Doom and, and the second-rate villains, and then Tony with his adopted father. Actually, there's, there's four. And then there's then also the, the, the people searching for him, yes. Yeah, so there's four storylines. And yet you, it took you like five minutes to read this. Yeah, I in you know probably less between five to ten minutes. And the thing that really threw me for a loop was Blade at the end. Yeah. Especially that he looks just like Wesley Snipes. Because <laughs> I could just hear Wesley Snipes in my, my name is Blade. But isn't Blade English? Uh, isn't, no. he from, isn't he from England? Not that I remember. I'm not talking about the movie. No, I know that. I don't think Blade was from England. I thought his origin was kind of the same. You checking now? I hear typity typity. Typity typity. Clickety clickety clack. Don't talk back. Blade is a fictional character appearing in American comic books created by Marv Wolfman and Jane Colin. Uh, oh, you're right. Wait a minute. It says Eric Brooks. Real name is. He was born in Soho, London in 1929. You are right. Governor? Hello, I'm Blade. Sorry. <laughs> it's not, it's not in my contract. Blade does not sound like Dick Van Dyke. Blade wants a jetpack. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Michael Caine is Blade. Hello, I'm Blade. If you get to stick the word bloody in there somewhere, then. Michael Caine never 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 gave a sentence that that didn't have bloody somewhere in it. <laughs> oh my God, there's a lot of stuff here on Blade. All right, I'm like, all right. Well, we were able to confirm he's English, so yes, yes, he is. Uh, he is English. I, if nothing else, I do have a certain amount of knowledge of Bronze Age characters. Yes, yes, you have shown me up. I have, I have been schooled. I showed you up in the last book, and you showed me up in this one. There you go. It's just we, tit we, for tat. We both keep showing up. Yeah, at least we do. 
Some, the, some third parties never hear. Oh, burn! Sky Charter. Uh, I you know it's just what's in it? The character of Ironheart. It looks to me like she's pretty cool and pretty well written, and and I think I would like her. But I just get ta- I'm I'm getting a little tired of the legacy characters at, when it feels like they're using them as a crutch. I don't know. Mm. It, it doesn't it doesn't feel like these characters are organically developed. And again, I'm stepping into this at the last second, so maybe I'm being totally unfair. But it feels like they they're created more like. We don't have any writers who are willing to really give us truly original characters anymore because any writer who has any kind of reputation, if they have an original character, then they want to have full ownership of it. So right. they won't let us have that. So instead, we have to keep forcing you know, round pegs into square holes by saying everybody's a legacy character. Everybody's, you know, we, we have to have Ironheart and Spider-Gwen and, uh, you know, what's his name? What is it? Gwenpool now? Uh, just all sorts of stuff is. like that. I, and I don't read any of this, so my criticism might be totally unfair. But it just feels like they're just forcing these things down our throats at, due to a lack of creativity. Well, I'm wondering if yeah, but so so Tony Stark has supposedly come back from the dead, but he came back like in, he was in a coma. And how does Blade fix? But he came, he came back looking like a uh, stain. <laughs> yeah, or Mister Clean, or the Watcher. <gasps> Maybe the Watcher is really his father. <laughs> he does. He does more than like the Watch. That's all I'm saying. And. Does it seem okay? It has to be. Why does the art look so different? Is that um, when you go to Doom? That's a different artist. Like I don't know if I can tell the difference between Alex Maleev and Stefano Caselli. Uh, well, I'm thinking I mean, the Alex Maleev art is the Doom one. Okay. Because I have seen Alex Maleev before, and that's what that looks like to me. Why did they draw... I mean, was Alex Maleev doing the regular... Because Doom had his own... He had the infamous Iron Man book. I wonder if he was the regular artist, and they just had him do this. Maybe. Do the Doom section. I mean, it's... That's definitely possible. Well, you know what they did with the Avengers is they basically ended all the books, except... Avengers proper, and now they're putting it out weekly. Like they have like four different iron, uh, four different um, Avengers titles going on, and at one point they had like three different Iron Man t- titles going on, but they stopped all of them and then just started. They renumbered Iron Man, and but it now seems like we're getting like maybe they're jamming all three stories into the one book, which I don't know if that's short shifting each story. Yeah, I'm not I don't know. Sure. But I just took a quick look, and uh, with infamous Iron Man, Alex Maleev definitely was okay. draw- was an artist on it. I don't know if he drew all of it. You know what? Now think, because I've seen, I, I have I have not read any of the books, but I've seen the covers, and this does look like a lot of the covers to the books that I picked up. Hmm. I'm such a bad comic fan. You are a bad comic. Bad Bill. 
So, all right, let's. I'm gonna rate this. Go ahead. Uh, the front cover. When I picked this up yesterday, <laughs> I was kind of like, yeah, it's all right. It's, you know, you you would think I'd get more. I just didn't. I mean, it's got a lot of action, but there's just kind of like, uh, you know, it's a search for Tony Stark. It looks like a bunch of Iron Man suits found him. Um, <laughs> but I'm pr- pretty sure this isn't going to be inside, and I was right. Um, I mean, it's pretty art, but I don't know. It's not. It's not grabbing me. I don't know what's wrong with it. You think it would? I can't. I almost don't want to give it a. I, I'm going to give it a. A C plus. I, I don't know. There's just something about it that doesn't click with me. Maybe it's just. I I don't know. Too much yellow in the background. I don't know. Mm. Uh, the interior art. Eh. Well, I mean, we've got the two different, uh, you know, the Doom stuff looks kind of mystic which would go well with that he's using, you know, he's got the hood attacking him, and he's using dark forces to fend them off. Um, I don't know if I should give it two different art grades, or I'll just kind of average those two out. Um, the other art is serviceable it's you know the layouts are kind of interesting some of like when he's talking with his uh when he's tony is talking to howard uh the layouts are different um hmm see i like the i like the art in the last issue better and that was an a this is going to be i'm going to average it to a B minus, and it's. I think actually, I like the Alex Malieve stuff a little better. Um, for its mystic look to it, uh, the story. You know, I, I don't know because we've got four different storylines going on here. Um, I don't know if it's too much for one book. Of course, we say that. You know, we just raved about uh, another book that did the same thing and you know maybe because we're coming in in the middle and not really knowing fully what's going on that may be hindering that a little bit so I think I'm going to say mm, a C plus B minus as well so overall I'm going to give the book a C plus I think alright uh <sighs> Let's see the cover. I like the image, but if I was a young comic fan and I picked this up, I would be sorely disappointed that it has absolutely nothing to do with what's going on <laughs> inside the book. I, I've been a comic fan long enough to know that this is not uncommon at this point, but I still think it's not. I, I think it's kind of unforgivable, to be honest with you, to have covers False advertising. That, yeah, it's one thing to have a poster image. It's another thing to have something that is actually showing, a, depicting an actual scene uh, that has nothing to do with what's going on in the book. So I, I really, I can't blame the artist for that, but I can blame Marvel. So what I'm going to say is, if this scene took place in the book, I would give it a B. Since it does not, I'm giving it a C minus. Because I, I just think it's it's really just like you said false advertising, and it really 
I, I find that to be a very distasteful thing. The interior art, we have two different styles that are in front of us, and frankly, I'm not thrilled with either of them. Uh, and it's more or less not that I'm saying they're bad, I'm just saying they're not my cup of tea. Because I do think they both do a fairly good job of setting forth the story. Although, when uh, the hood shoots the corruptor in the back of the head, it's kind of unclear how that develops a little bit, other than Doom is somehow using mystical energies, but I don't think it's I don't think it's really well drawn as far as that goes. I don't know. I don't think the storytelling is as good as it could be. I think it's a little confusing. And that might have something to do with it being the fourth part, as you said. Uh, but, and then we're going to transfer right now over to the, to the story. I'm going to give the interior art on a whole a C and go to the story. And I think that's a problem with the story is... How many times have we said every comic could be somebody's first? In this instance, it's our first in this particular cycle of story. And they really make very, very little effort to clue us in as to what's going on. Now, I don't think you want to spend too much time doing that because if it's somebody who had already read the previous three issues, the last thing you want to do is waste several pages on a recap. But... Marvel, you know, for the longest time, they were putting a recap page at the front where they'd have a paragraph explaining what was going on so that you could read it. There's no reason you couldn't do something like that or have some exposition in there, have something to explain what's going on just a little better than they are. Um, so I'm going to say a C on the uh, on the story, and I'm going to give the book overall a C-. minus. I'm a little disappointed in it. Yeah. Oh. But I am in, but I am intrigued by Blade at the end and curious where that's going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a nice book. You, you know, you're like, oh, what, what, what? Why is Blade there? Um, so the thing in the synopsis that says the the hood grouped away. Uh, no, I think, I think, Doom made him leave because, um, all right, because he uses his whatever mind powers that he now supposedly has and he says now and he um the hood shoots the corruptor in the back of the head and he says how did you do that you you made me and doom says be gone and the hood is trying to shoot doom and then he disappears i think doom made hood leave using yeah, oh, his yeah. own power against him absolutely you know I, I don't. I, I don't think. I think the synopsis is totally wrong on that. Yeah. That's what happens when you get a synopsis written on a book that came out yesterday. True. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. Yeah, it says because during during the scene it says Victor has many secret talents. Very few know of his mystic based ability to control weaker minds. And it says Victor <laughs> likes to keep it that way. And you see. The hood slowly puts his gun to his own head, and I'm like, "What? Yeah, so when he, did he, he suddenly do learn how to do that?" I guess you know that's all I mean, it's supposed to be with to his be mystical to, training. It's one thing to be able to intimidate somebody, but I never knew he had mind control. Yeah, no, that's that's a new one on me too. But I, I guess you know they they try to put a lot to his training in Tibet and that kind of stuff that went on. But mm. whatever. <laughs> but uh. I guess that's it for our two new books. And you want to do a quick email? 
Uh, let me see. I don't have it up. It will take just a minute. Well, while you, while you don't, while you are looking for it, I'm going to read. Uh, there's three emails. One is from Russell, and two were forwarded to us by Russell about the uh, the guest appearance we did on his show, which also appeared as an episode of this show. So I'm going to read the first one from Russell, which is on Back to the Bins number 294. Gene and Jim step in. And Russell wrote, Hi, boys. Boy, did this episode have a plethora of topics. You talked about food, a great subject to talk about. One of you mentioned the Permanti brothers. They moved into Clarksburg probably two years ago or so. Two years or so ago. We still haven't gone. I guess I have a problem with fries and slaw on my sandwiches. We may still go someday because they do have pizza. The subject also talked about. There is a place across the street from us called Vito's that has some great pizza, along with subs and pasta dishes. Right up the street from Vito's is Little Caesars, so we are surrounded by pizza, if you consider Little Caesars <laughs> to be pizza. Up beyond Little Caesars is Dairy Queen, and going in the other direction, we have Wendy's, Long John Silver's, Subway's, and McDonald's. I guess we'll never starve. You also won't eat high-quality food. <laughs> <laughs> You talked about comics. Paul is right where I am. I pretty much only collect pre-crisis on Infinite Earth comics. That's just something, there's just something about Silver and Bronze Age. It's not that I don't have a post-crisis issue, but they mostly come in collected volumes, whether hardcover or soft. I agree with you totally, Russell. This, to me, the Bronze and Silver Age is where it's at. You talked about Comic-Cons. Still haven't been to one, but it's more likely now that West Virginia has their own. If they ever have some guests I'd like to see, I'm sure to go. It's usually in June, I think. The most famous one to come so far was Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man. I've seen him at New York Comic Con a couple of times. Never approached him, but I've seen him there in his booth. Wish I had known it before it was too late. I hear he will laugh for you if asked, probably for a cost, <laughs> but I think it would be worth it. I at least had the Justice League of America book this time around. I may never remember the story inside, but I'll always remember the cover. That's all. That's about all I have this round. Keep them coming. Thank you once again for keeping me entertained. Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia, host of the DC Comics Presents show. Thank you mm. for that email, Rusty. And you want to, are you, have you got the mail open? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to make a quick, um, the, um, his speaking of pre-crisis in here, popped into my head i had went to remember i was sending you text when i was at ollie's army mm -hmm. the discount place when they had the i showed you all the pictures of the bins of uh, dc um books yep i i only picked up one book and that was a soft cover edition of crisis on infinite earths i have that it was the same $5. one you, the same one you picked up and i think i bought it for 15 yeah, and it was on sale for it was like thirty dollars on the back, and I was like, yeah, five bucks. Oh, yeah. yeah, I think I bought it on a fifty percent discount, if my memory is correct. Yeah, so I was uh, that was uh, I forgot to mention that before. So there was other things I wanted, but I was like, you know what? I'm just I'm I, I I can't go crazy. Just I wanted that because that way I can read it without having to pull out my issues, and boom, I was done. So uh, next email, and this is one of the forwarded ones that. Mr. Bragg sent over, and it says, this is from Charlie Niemeyer, 
commented on DC Comics Project 78, Superman and Forgotten Villains. Guess who's back to the bins? And it says, I wonder how much Scott's feeling about the art comes from everyone knowing that this version of Superman would soon be rebooted. They were all told in 84 that their Superman would be canceled, and they would just be keeping the wheels turning until that takes place. I'm not sure when in 84, but this issue would have been produced in 84, and that announcement may have been fresh on their minds. Then again, Swan may not have liked the story much and wasn't inspired. That can also affect the art as well as the inker. Having said that, I really enjoyed the episode, especially Paul's reading of the synopsis. Oh, thank you, Charlie. I think I was making fun of the the names of the places or something, if I remember right. <laughs> you? Never. And we have one more email that's also on that uh, that same topic. And if I can actually open it, I will read it. And it comes to Russell from Dave McIlvaney. Nicely done, gentlemen, although one could certainly wish for a better story for you to cover. I found the writing to be something of a muddled mess, even more than the previous issue's stories. This may have been because, even though I'd been reading comics for decades when this issue came out and was familiar with the Forgotten Heroes, the Forgotten Villains were unknown to me. I agreed that the connection to Crisis on Infinite Earths was pretty much tacked on at the end of the story and really had no particular connection to it. At the time, there was no clear idea, at least for readers, what the appearance of the Monitor and Lila slash Harbinger meant. Russell, in your Spinner Rack segment, I particularly enjoyed hearing Stevie Wonders. I just called to say I love you. I love the musical backgrounds for that segment. So... It's, uh, I'll tip my hat to Russell, too, because I'm always trying to find clever music to put. And when you come up with one, I have to appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And that empties our mailbox for today. So if people want to send us mail, we're at bins at, what is it, bins at twotruefreaks.com. Or, even better, you can give us iTunes reviews. Ooh. I haven't checked in a while. I, it's been a little while, but I... I don't think it was. I don't think it was so long ago that we would have much, if any. So give us reviews; we could use them. They're cool to have, uh, and that'll that'll be it for this week. I would expect that next week around we will be doing older books. But who knows? You who really knows which way so? the wind is blowing in a week? <laughs> Until then, we need to have a good closing line. Till then, see you at the bins. Nah, that sucks. <laughs> we are pinsters. Bum, 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 bum. About, about, nah, that sucks. That's, I think that should be a closing line. You know, it's like darn, that's the end. Nah, that's whichever sucks. one of us, which one of, whichever one of us, kind of signs off, the other one should just follow it up with, nah, that sucks. <laughs> create, create, create a new ending and then just say, nah, that sucks. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks 
is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Nah, that sucks.